Ian Scotto here wishing you a very happy Thanksgiving. Hope that you are all enjoying. As you're hearing this, I'm currently in Pittsburgh spending some time with my grandma and my uncle. Uh, My parents are there as well, and I'm most likely having a blast. I'm recording this in advance, though, and uh, so this is not a new episode, but many of you have not heard it because of the fact that this was originally one of those members-only shows that we did. Um, We're no longer behind the paywall, so all that we ask is that you leave us a review on iTunes, um, you know, so that we can get our ranking up, keep attracting some some great advertisers, which we're being very selective about now. Um, but this was an episode that we did with Terry Shepard, uh, Jack Murphy and I hosting Terry in studio. So for many of you, this is your first time hearing this. If you want to check out all of the back episodes of Soft Rep Radio, they're no longer on iTunes, but you can check them out at softrep.com slash radio or softrepradio.us. They're up there as well. So, um, yeah, hopefully it's an incentive to join the website, to become a team room member and check out the content that our authors are writing every day, all of the great articles. Um, so let's get right into this. This is Terry Shepard, who was in town at the time, um, and he was promoting Hollywood Weapons, uh, which was really kick-ass. You'll hear all of what he's up to. Um, and if you like it, let him know, because like I said, many of you didn't get a chance to hear this the first time. Terry Shepard, Army Green Beret. Let's get right into it. Brute force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Soft Rep Radio. Special operations, military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Army Ranger and Green Beret, Jack Murphy. Good riddance. Hasta lasagna. Don't get any on you. Marine Scout Sniper, Jason Delgado. It's just something we believe in. I associate that with taste buds. I like freaking chocolate chip mint. Why is this flavor boring? Because his whole life is boring. But whatever. And now, here's your co-host and producer of this operation, Ian Scotto. Rep Radio on time, on target. For the first time ever, we are on Facebook Live from our studios, Hurricane Group here in Chelsea, New York City. I'm Ian Scotto in studio with me, editor in chief of SoftRep.com, Jack Murphy, uh, Green Beret, also Green Beret Master Sergeant Terry Shepard. And uh, thanks for making the trip out first. Totally worth it. Totally worth it. I actually was coming up here for something, and uh, you and I always stay in touch. So, yeah. man, it's great. This is a cool little place, man. And they do have coffee and beer here. Yep. Which is nice. So what's the first thing we're to get into? You're back from South Korea, and you're working on your show, Hollywood yeah. Weapons, which comes out on Monday. Right. Um, I don't know where to begin. Me neither. I think me and Terry are both like trying to catch up from like time zones. Actually, yeah, he, he it's it's so funny because Jack just got back from 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 Asia, and I was I was over there in in November for something, not something as cool as that. I was doing actually silly TV stuff, but yeah, your body's off. I mean, I, I'm from the I just came in from North Carolina, so I have no excuse to be so tired. I, it's old, and you know, <laughs> at my age, guys, I, I can break a hip. 
So I can walk around in New York City, and if I slip, I'm going to break a hip. This is a fact. This is a fact. And probably my house down there in the Outer Banks is a smoking pit because I had two Special Forces guys who I haven't seen in a long time. One of them's a, just like a, my brother, and they were there the whole week. We had a great time, and they were there when I left this morning. They're leaving tonight, so I hope the After house. After they is, have Burning Man, I hope. Yeah, I hope the house is. I hope the house is there when I come back. So the big thing going on tonight, actually, is the release party for Brandon Webb's book, The Killing School. I was at the um, I was at the book signing at Barnes and Noble Tribeca yesterday. Awesome meeting all the listeners of this show. Uh, plenty of people who are becoming members, and so for those who aren't in the know, this is our members only show that we're doing. We're doing two shows a week now. And we're giving all of you a preview of this on, uh, on Facebook Live, and we figured who better than Terry Shepard to kick it off. Um, so, like I said, I don't know where you want to begin. You just came back from South Korea, and you wrote know. an article about it. So I, I figure we can get into that first. Yeah, what happened over there, Jack? You, you, have, <laughs> you, you have a bit of a thousand-yard stare right now. Nothing, nothing happened over there. I mean, well, I was in South Korea for like three days, and uh, before that I was in the Philippines for two weeks. So... The purpose of the trip was to go over and interface with the Filipino special operations guys. Um, so I met with NAVSOG, which is like their version of Naval Special Warfare. Um, their Scout Rangers, Special Forces, Light Reaction Regiment, uh, the Marine Force Recon guys, the other Marines. Jeez, um, who else? The Special Action Force uh, Police Unit. So I got to kind of go all over the place, meet all kinds of different people. Um, probably did recorded 12 hours of interviews, um, all kinds of stuff, and then shot over to South Korea. And um, the original point behind that trip was to go visit Special Forces Detachment Korea in, uh, over there in uh, part of SOC Corps. But that kind, of, that kind of fell through because they didn't want to do media right now or, or uh, the Combined Forces Command didn't want to do media because of rising tensions on the peninsula. Uh, so then the next thing was to try to go visit the demilitarized zone and the JSA, the Joint Security Area, where they do, like, the joint talks with North Korea and all that. That was shut down, again, because of tensions. Mm. So I ended up going to Shirwan, uh, which is another part. It's interesting. It was actually above the 38th parallel. So Korea split in two in 1945 uh, when we took the peninsula. Us and the Russians took it from the Japanese after the Japanese Imperial Army quickly collapsed because of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. They collapsed faster than anyone thought they would. So that drew the border at the 38th parallel. Five years later, 1950, the Korean War happens, and uh, South Korea lost some territory to the south, but they also gained some territory in the north. So this area of Sherwan is actually sort of a, uh, a basin, a flat area that um, they farm for rice, and that area was fought over pretty extensively. There's actually a Communist Party headquarters there that I, I got to visit. And you can see up the cement steps, there's two, it looks like a little earthquake went up the steps. It's from an American tank driving up the steps of the Communist Party headquarters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We like to leave marks where we yeah, go. Yeah, there's bullet holes everywhere. So I went there, saw the DMZ, and got to go into a, um, one of the, there's four tunnels that have been uncovered in the 70s and 80s. Uh, tunnels one through four, they've come to be known, and they're North Korean infiltration tunnels that were dug under the DMZ into South Korea. So and, and and for those laymen's, which I am one of which I had to look it up, so D, DMZ demilitarized zones because I was checking out right, in your right. uh, it's part of the arms armistice after the, the uh, no man's Korean land War. between North and South Korea, yeah. basically. Yeah, I was, I was checking out the article you did, which people could check out on the site on Sofrep. 
uh, and which is called Sofrep Editor-in-Chief Jack Murphy reports from the Korean DMC. And you took some awesome pictures out there in the um, in the caves and the tunnels as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, that camera, I'm no photographer by any means, but the camera that uh, Nick Cahill hooked us up with, it does its own thing. Yeah. Um, and, and enables idiots like me to take semi-decent pictures. Um, so, yeah, I went down in, in that infiltration tunnel. That was tunnel number two. Um, got some good pictures in there. And that tunnel actually... So it runs all the way to North Korea. It's three and a half kilometers long. Um, obviously, I didn't go, and people do not go to North Korea in that tunnel. There's a yes. gate and everything like that. And security <laughs> is, there, is there a gate under in the middle of that tunnel underneath? Like once they busted that tunnel, do they did they seal it off underneath where like you could go to about underneath the ground where North Korea starts, or is it when, like what's it like? When you get to yeah, it just goes and then it stops at a, at a gate like a iron gate. And that's kind of like where the DMZ is. Okay. So I have to believe there's some part of the story I wasn't getting though. Like they could not have just left that tunnel open. That doesn't seem right. And just put a gate there. No, you know, that doesn't seem right. Well, I also was reading that there's tons more that we don't know about. Right. I mean, if there's four, so there's there, more, th- that's interesting because there's uh there's rumors, I guess you could say that there's as many as 25 tunnels. Yeah, right. That every brigade on the border, on the DMZ, has its own has tu- infiltration own. tunnel. Um, tunnel number, so the one I was in was big enough. You could single file, put soldiers through there. They could walk through there, no right. problem. Except that Koreans are shorter than we are, so they make <laughs> us wear helmets and you bang your head. Every, the whole time. Yeah, the whole time. Scraping the whole time. Um, but tunnel number four was wide enough. You could drive like a Jeep. You get a vehicle in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how many tunnels are undiscovered? Uh, who knows? But... Uh, these days, the other issue, too, is the tunnels might be obsolete because if war did break out, they could just detonate an atomic device on the DMZ, and clear gone. out all the defenses, and then the troops storm across. Is there a vibe there uh, vis-a-vis the South? And Obviously, that's where you were. Can you feel the tension when you're walking around? Does it seem... I mean, I know you you haven't been there before. Yeah. Have you been there before? No. So no. that you wouldn't be able to compare it yeah. to anything. I'm just curious what it's like, or if it's like kind of almost like another day in paradise uh, there. I'll tell you, for the South Koreans, it's just like another day. That's what I think, yeah. Like, like, things are blowing up in the media over here, and people are freaking out about it, but for them, they're, like, desensitized and jaded to it. They've been it. dealing with it. Yeah, like, whatever, you know. Um, yeah, they're used to it. And that doesn't mean that there aren't some things happening or right. that it shouldn't be taken seriously, but it also isn't... Um, quite the crisis they're not jumping through hoops right now it's it's not it's not like the crisis scenario that the american news yeah no yeah they're making it sound like guys are just looking right across it's it's the same stuff it's about to pop off at any moment moment now yeah Yeah, the odyssean actually recently wrote an article and we talked about this on the first members only podcast just the attitude in uh, around north korea and surrounding north korea And in his article, he basically said, North Korea is not such a big threat to the U.S. or Japan. We should be a little bit more worried about the threat to South Korea, of course. Sure. How what what is the fear there? Like, how how could you describe the attitude knowing that their neighbors have a dictator who's threatening to obliterate them? Uh, I'm telling you, it's not something when when I was in South Korea and when I was in Seoul, I went out to like uh, this like hipster container place <laughs> that they turns everywhere even they, in South Korea that they yeah. turned into like cool clothing stores right. and they had like beer tasting and it's all young people out and remember if you're if you're uh, you know our age or even a little older you grew up like this there, there's no memory of a of a united Korea there's no me- living memory of the Korean War if you are 25 30 years old you grew up you had a pretty good life you know your parents worked really hard they 
brought that country from abject poverty to being the tiger of Asia. So you had life pretty good as a young person um, nowadays. So I don't think it's something that's forefront in their mind at all. What, what was more on their mind at that time uh, was the recent election. Uh, that Moon got elected, and that, that was something that was a concern for them. But I, I don't think that they're walking around thinking about North Korea. Now, of course, it is a threat. Um, the threat is uh, CBRN, the chemical, radiological, biological, nuclear is one thing. The other is artillery. If something were to happen, the North Koreans could push down to Seoul. They probably would take Seoul. And the whole, it would be a chemical environment. There would be all kinds of nerve gas and everything else um, being used. Because the North Koreans don't have a lot of money, they can't maintain a conventional military quite the way we do. I mean, yeah, they have a million conscripts, okay? It's a big military, but they're not going to have all the big ticket items, the tanks and the fighter jets that we have. So there's going to be a, uh, it's more of an asymmetrical threat. They're going to use the WMDs. Dirty, um, dirty stuff, old yeah, school they're, stuff. Yeah, like the tunnels. They'll yeah. send saboteurs, uh, you know, people wearing civilian clothing. Uh, sabotaging military installations and all that kind of nasty stuff. I mean, North Korea can't feed its people. So it, from a, from a right. point of view of the military, and we saw this, you know, I'm older than you guys, when, when we broke the Soviets, it was it was the same thing. You know, the, 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 we had this idea that this was this unbeatable military at some point, but their economy could not, they couldn't support it. And, you know, and that's what Reagan knew. It wasn't, he yeah. knew he didn't have to nuke them or, uh, I mean, I, he took the risk, but he just basically outcompeted them and they just got beat I, I don't think I, I was just curious about this too because whenever I read and it's funny because North Korea pops up in the news when it pops up and I always think when I see anything any story with North Korea I just substitute China because I feel like they're kind of like Korea's pit bull maybe where I think China I don't think China would let them do this I don't I don't, I don't think China wants them to do the stuff they say now it doesn't no. mean you wouldn't do it but I think if China does that if, he, if, that, if he did do that that's a big meal ticket problem for China because yes. you know what I mean. So I mean, for, and the for, Chinese are the Chinese are business guys, and they don't want this. For all of the regional players, they have a vested interest, unfortunately, in maintaining the status quo. Exactly but for just what the reason you said that North Korea would be a tremendous economic burden on that entire region. You can only imagine the. Um, not just the poverty, lack of development, and the psychological trauma that generations right. of North Koreans have been under. Integrating reunification would be a very, very painful process. Right. The interesting thing you mentioned China is that China and North Korea both have a similar agenda, but for different reasons in that they would both like America out of South Korea. Sure. Uh, North Korea, because they see the, their only chance at reunifying the peninsula under the Kim family regime is to take is, South Korea, is to get America out of there. Yeah, they got to go. Then they would ostensibly in their mind have a shot. Oh, and I would think our policy, I would I always thought that it might it would be a, what we would like to see is a unified Korea on our end. But also that would also be an economic drain. It's almost like, you know, reuniting Germany, maybe. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not that smart on from probably from the are. sources I talked to. They, they have a real issue that they feel that the United States and the other players involved, um, including South Korea, China, all the others are not prepared for reunification. Yeah, right. The, the issue is that it could happen very rapidly. Um, the Kim family could go collapse. Kim Jong-un could be assassinated. All sorts of different things could happen internally in North Korea. But they couldn't uh, handle a cascade. That have, that have nothing to do with America or South Korea. It could be an internal collapse. Yeah, sure. And then we have to respond and deal with that. And uh, the people I talk to at least feel that we're not anywhere. We're not, we're not up for that. We're not uh, up for that challenge. That we're not ready for it. So what do you think is going to happen going down the road immediate? I don't know, man. 
next six months, a year. Nothing. Taper off. Yeah, yeah status I quo. So I, th- I, I don't think, think so anything's going to change. Yeah, and, so and when you say the type of people that you talked to and the interviews you got, who were some of the people that you got to interview while you were on this trip? Uh, and, well, I was like I said, I was not in Korea for a very long period of time. I did meet with some folks. Uh, I'd rather not get into their backgrounds, okay. but so a, a lot of anonymous sources. Uh, but no. people, who, but people who would know. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. And, but when I uh, when I was in the Philippines, not so many anonymous sources. They will be on the record. Um, so like I'm working on an article right now about the Filipino scout rangers and, um, one general, he's a general now at the time he was a Lieutenant, uh, was awarded the medal of valor, which is their version of the medal of honor. Uh, his scout ranger platoon went and got, they, uh, they mixed it up with the Abu F group in 1995 and, uh, half of his guys got wiped out. He was shot like probably a dozen times or wounded in a dozen different places, um, just a, a hellacious firefight they got into. But mo- most of the people I interviewed will be on the record. They're tough dudes, the Filipinos, I think. Eh, no joke. They're yeah, tough guys. Yeah. They, they'll scrap, right? You were saying that, too. I mean, that's, what I, that's always been my impression about those dudes. That's a different kind of culture. I'm surprised Jack didn't interview Duterte. I mean, you did get to interview Assad when you went over to Syria, which is well, pretty fucking awesome. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty good get. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, that was I, I got a little lucky. I, don't, I think I'd have to do a little bit more work before I'd be able to interview the uh, president of the Philippines. I, I have to ask then, man, with the action that we're taking in Syria that President Trump is taking, do you have any uh, of a different outlook on the fact that you got to go to Assad's palace, you got to speak with him with a very small group of journalists? Um, I think it's something that will probably never happen again. Yeah. Um, and, and I can tell you just in my own experience, I applied for a visa to go back to Syria and, you know, you hear whining from the Syrian government, from other people, how come the American journalists don't go and cover Syria? Why don't they go cover the Syrian <laughs> Well, we're trying. We, yeah. you know, I applied for a visa, and they're like, yeah, we'll get back to you, you know, if we want to. And so it's one of those things. They wanted us in there that one time. They kind of put out their propaganda message, the regime's message. And uh, I don't They're think, done with you now. Yeah, yeah. They don't have any interest in having American journalists cruising around the country. My proposal was to go back and cover the Syrian military, too, and, and not to um, stir up trouble, you know, like, like drill people about war crimes or anything, but to go cover the tactical and strategic situation that the That'd be Syrian interesting, military, actually, for someone like me. Because be you're, you're not hearing anything no, about we, it. They don't right? put anything like that out. Nothing. So um, that was my proposal to them. That's what I wanted to go do. And um, I'm still waiting to hear about that. I got to ask then, you were openly more non-interventionist in Syria at the time after meeting Assad, I think I would say, unless you think it's uh, not well, a fair Well, it depends. What do you mean by interventionist? I mean, I, I was never, I never supported the idea of removing the Assad regime just because exactly. there's no viable alternatives. So then, which makes me wonder, that was a few months prior to President Trump getting elected. Mm-hmm. What we're doing right now, which I've heard you say anyone would have done, you believe, you think whether it was President Obama or President Hillary Clinton or former President Bill Clinton, mm-hmm. they'd probably be doing what Trump is right now, regardless of the media hysteria. But what do you think of the action that we're taking? Oh, which action are you talking the about Tomahawks? specifically? Yeah, the, the cruise missile strike. Let's get into all Well, I mean, the cruise missile strike, yeah, I, I, I would stick with that original point. I think any president would have done that. No choice. Yeah, to maintain international norms against the use of no weapons choice. of mass destruction. I think yeah, anyone no would have done that. No choice. Um, I guess Trump is ramping up some of the covert action. Or no, not even. That, that's really actually, that's the news we should get into is that 
they're not doing covert action. Now they're saying we're overtly supplying the Kurds with weapons. Right. That's the that, Kurds just, that, just, that just came out. So that's kind of a, a it demonstrates a maturing, I think, of the relationship between the United States and the Kurdish YPG militia. Yeah. That's very interesting. Those are great guys, actually. I mean, I've, I've worked with them. They're good. Yeah. The Kurds. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's sticky, too, because the Kurds then are also, we have, we're try, they're trying to walk this fine line with Turkey as well, right? Those guys do not like each other, the, the Kurds and Turkey. And I don't know. I, th- I think what's the vibe I have, we'll t- just talk about Trump real quick. I mean, I just got out in October. I, I think I the, should mention that. Yeah, you recently retired. I just retired. Greenberg. Yeah, it was, it's weird wow, getting congratulations. out. Yeah, almost like 24 something years. I haven't even added it up. Sometimes I've said 23. That's not right. It's not quite 25 because I had a break in service. Who cares? But um, I think the dudes so far that I've talked to generally are okay, are pretty optimistic with, with President Trump for two reasons. And they're, and they're legit based on what's gone on so far. Um, he is unapologetically even obnoxiously pro-American, right? And I think that's, the, that's a pendulum swing from, from what we had for, for eight years. Whether I'm not going to comment. I don't know President Obama's heart. I think the things he did and said lent the idea that, you know, it was like we're no better than anybody else and, and that kind of thing. And I think you got this other guy coming on, no, we're the best and we're going to keep it that way. That's a, we like that in the military not because we want to go fight all these battles, but the second point is that Trump, I think, seems to understand that you need a chainmail fist to back up any talk. And I think that's where President Obama really missed it. Because President Obama, I think, really, his, his mistake was he believed his own hype. He really believed that the fact that he was such an exceptional you know, president as far as what he was, you know, first black president, uh, he lived overseas, he had ties to the Muslim world, he understood them, you know, he was... Ivy League educated, great order. He actually thought that that would be enough. His eminent reasonableness, I'm making that word up because I feel like it. Because Shakespeare, <laughs> Shakespeare made up 200 words. I can make up a freaking word. You can curse out here. I can there. say what, Oh, yeah, that's right. You can say whatever you want. So, no, but the, so, so I think that's yeah, true. That's great. I'm not on Fox News right now. You have to be very careful. Yeah. Uh, but I think that was the, the President uh, Obama's problem is that he believed his own hype. He thought that, yeah. I mean, I'm very reasonable. I'm eminently persuadable. I can talk to these people. And he quickly realized that's not the way it works. Yeah, Russia's, it reminds me of the Carter administration. Uh, yeah, it is. Russia's going to yeah. Russia. Russia, And also, <laughs> Russia goes into Ukraine. You know, they do their th- And we don't do anything about it. They realize there's a lot of snakes out there. Well, and yeah. that's the thing, you know. And, and President Obama, I think, quickly had the lesson in reality of like, oh, wow, they're not going to listen to me because I'm cool. Or that I'm interesting. Or that I'm black. Or that I'm... Any of those things that were made his presidency, you know, obviously very historic. I think uh, Trump is kind of like the drunk uncle at Thanksgiving. I, I feel like, you know, in a way, he, he, just, he just might be the kind of guy, go, what did you say to me? Now, that's good and bad for us in the military, right? Because we don't want to go half-cocked. But I think, I feel like the dudes I've talked to right now are pretty, uh, I don't know, pretty hopeful about him because he is very pro-American, America first. I, I wouldn't want to go on that tack for the rest of our, um, yeah. our existence because I think you got to be smart. But I think it's, again, pendulum swing. And I also think he's just... He has no problem backing it up, and, and that's good. There's other things we have, I have concerns well, about. Well, Terry, here. I mean, he did say we're going to defeat ISIS and we're going to do it fast. What did he say? That he was going to do it in the first month of his presidency? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. He, he, he I, says I, a lot of stuff. I, yeah, I mean, I, I sense that uh, he, he is also being confronted with reality um, yeah, no. as opposed to his campaign promises. Well, listen, that's a, yeah. we know that, too. Everybody says stuff during the campaign. Um, and I think he will, I, I hope, I, I don't know, man, I don't know the dude, I, he's, you know, 
uh, I was Trump wasn't my candidate, but I, I think that you're right. He's getting the dose of reality. I, I, I hope at least what he will do is to maybe turn some of it over to the military and say, what do you guys think we should do? You know, and maybe that's better. Because I think, I think there was more con- political concerns with President Obama um, in general. Yeah, yeah. You know I mean, I think it was... It, it will be interesting, too, to see what happens after... And I don't say this as a criticism, per se, of, of President Trump, but this, could, this is any president. I, I want to see how he's going to respond after the first time he gets burned really bad. Good, yep. Uh, then mean, we'll see. I mean, like the Benghazi-type scenario. Then we will see. Then you we know, will something, see. something bad happens. How, and I also think within the, after a couple years of him settling in, and the and the freakouts. Well, they're probably not going to stop <laughs> media wise. I mean, it's just a, it's. But I think you know, we'll see in a couple of years if he actually does do stay within the bounds of the Constitution. If Congress holds him accountable, because you know President Trump is 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 driven by ego. Is so is President Obama. I think their egos are fed by different things. President Obama, I think, fed on and thrived on the adulation. He really liked being the world president. He liked being that guy who came into the room and he goes. President Obama. I think Trump thrives on just winning and crushing people. And that's sometimes good. It's also sometimes bad. So their egos are huge. I think they're, they were both very thin skinned, but it's for kind of, I think they're fed by different things. Yeah. I mean, different backgrounds too. Yeah, different I mean, guys. Obama came, was a community organizer, the lawyer, the senator. Totally. And uh, Trump, I mean, you can see, I, I saw on the, the news today, the, the uh, director of the FBI has been fired. Who's the next director going to be? We have four <laughs> candidates. Which will make it? It's the reality TV thing. Oh, like somebody's sick. getting eliminated. It, Who's going to be yeah, the next one? It is almost like a celebrity apprentice for the FBI director. Yeah. 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 Well, and the same thing as Supreme Court justice. I mean, so it's, that's how he plays it. Everything. Yeah. yeah. And I think he digs it on some level, too. He does dig it. And yeah, even, yeah, even yeah. though he's not the first president on Twitter, he's like the first Twitter president. He is I mean, the, Obama oh, that's the way it. to put it. He is, really is a Twitter president. Yeah. I wish sometimes, I just would, I would actually like it for if he would just, I would appreciate, I get it, he's f- punching back, which th- I like to see people punching back, but I also think it sometimes it looks childish, and I think just yeah, just back off, dude. Don't say yeah. anything. Just don't, yeah, sometimes it's good. We learn this in special forces. Sometimes it's good to kind of keep it close to the vest, keep it close to the chest, rather, keep your cards, and just don't really say anything. You know, smile and go, okay, cool, great. Yeah, well, I mean, when you're the president of the United States, you don't have to reply to everything. No. You, know? you don't have, you, you, got, you got some wasta behind and you. And if yeah. you think that, and if you think the insults are going to stop because you punch back, you're wrong. Yeah, you're not. Yeah. So, you know. Especially anyway. when you're that high profile. Dude, they're going to come after him nonstop. That's, that's just the way it is. So I should throw out there for everybody, you're checking this out on our Facebook Live, um, or you're listening if you're a member uh, after the fact, but... We're doing two shows a week now for members. If you want to join, it's softrepradio.us. You're going to be getting great guests like Terry Shepard, guys like Jim West, uh, Matt Larson, and a lot more to come. We're trying to get Rob O'Neill here in the studio at some point. That would be great to see. Ian, uh, remind me, too, I have a bunch of people that I want to get on also. Like the, these articles I've been writing and all these different people I make contact with, yeah. I want to get people on to talk about uh, Detachment A in Berlin, Detachment K in Korea, uh, I want to get these people on, and, and I, I I know the right people to call now. So we'll make it happen, yeah. and hopefully we'll get a lot of people here in the studio for the people who've been loyal listeners for many years. No more of these like sound quality issues. We're going to be here <laughs> twice a week doing just killer shows. That's what we're here yeah, to this, do and deliver great this content. This is legit. This is my first time in the office. Yeah. After many years, we have an office. I'm loving it. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah. You got. You know what? You guys have freaking earned it. I mean, actually, you guys have built it up. 
Uh, I actually told a few of my friends I was coming up to do soft rap. They know who you are. You know, that's good. That's yeah, really yeah. good. By the way, Dead A, those guys are, those guys are legends. When I, yeah. when I got to Stuttgart in 1993, uh, there were still a couple holdovers there that had, that had done that kind of stuff. My team leader, former team leader, if he's listening, Chase Millsap, one of the best guys I've ever met, he's out in L.A. He's writing. He actually wrote a great pilot um, for a series based on what, what the Dead Eye guys. If you don't know what that is, that's Detachment A. Those are the dudes who were working in... Germany, back and forth, east and west, in Berlin. Those guys had, those guys were making it up as they went, and they were yeah. very little rules of, uh, very little restrictions. Some of the shit those guys did was serious spook stuff, serious. Yeah. And it really, really, I mean, like, just a different kind of vibe than the Green Beret stuff we've been doing in, in, in many of the it last years. It was like Cold years. War espionage. Yeah, it was really but sort of very CIA-ish, back it, to the OSS was, type stuff. It was also unconventional warfare, though, because their whole job was if the Soviets pushed across the wall, they would basically go underground and become sabotage agents. Right. And they, they all had targets, different infrastructure, train tracks, um, power plants, whatever, to go and destroy. Really cool. To slow down the Soviet advance. Really cool. Really it, cool. it was basically a suicide mission. Yeah, they, and they all, they all had this kind of cowboy attitude too that are like fuck it we're probably gonna die if this happens and but they were smart and uh there's some great stories the, out of there. the pictures from back in the day are awesome the trench coats oh. the, the big sideburns 1970s yeah sideburns. i mean you have, if you get yeah. a chance i'll give you some this is just a very interesting uh, facet of special forces history it was dead a. yeah yeah that's awesome and we'll be able to cover more of that stuff so I do want to get into, Terry is not just here for his health. He is <laughs> no, a- I just wanted to see Jack and ask him about his uh, <clears throat> adventures in the Philippines, because, you know, those are always good. And, uh, you know, I wanted to see the new studio and give it, you know, thumbs up or thumbs down. It's got a thumbs up, but yes, I have a series that's running and it's almost done. We got, uh, let's talk yeah, about it. I'll get right into it, man. So Terry is here promoting his new show, Hollywood Weapons, Monday at 9 p.m. East on the Outdoor Channel. I would say it's kind of the brainchild of Joe Montaigne, right? And Yeah, so Joe Montaigne is the, you know overall producer and uh and people know him from so many things actor director and, writer and by producer the way, total patriotic guy total second amendment duty he, he also besides now you know he's on criminal minds for like however many years 10 years 12 years amazing actor broadway actor by the way he grew up in the theater um in chicago with gary sinise wow so those another guys, patriot another and also david mamet who is a very very well-known playwright uh, who was actually kind of a left-wing guy. And when I was at Wilkow Will several years ago, he had written a book called The Secret Knowledge, and it yep. was his conversion from the left to the right, and he's brilliant. Uh, but yeah, so Joe Montaigne is... What's great about him, he's the nicest guy you could ever imagine. Um, and he, he's been a great in for us in Hollywood because everybody knows who he is, and he's got a great reputation. So we did the pilot from an episode on Criminal Minds where I was shooting guns underwater at a windshield, which, yeah. <laughs> By the way, what a bummer, right? Yeah, I hate my, I hate my job. Although, yeah. <laughs> although I did shoot the 454 Casul, it's the Ruger Red Hawk, and I knew it was going to thump me because I was in a closed container of water, and I, you know, I was just like, I basically, it's like doing an interior this is like breach. Jackass well, yeah, we should. Firearms. <laughs> we should. We did in- it as safe as we could. No, I, I will say this: Larry Zanoff, this this guy is great. He's our, he's the co-star. And we can't do it without him. He, he actually was an IDF guy. And, uh, oh, wow. He's from Israel. You can't tell. He's, he's, sound, he's very American. But I, yeah, I, I haven't noticed that because I've watched the clip. You've seen it, so. right. He's actually Israeli. And uh, he, he was in uh, one, of the, one of the recon. I forget exactly what you know was, but he did a lot of stuff in Lebanon. He's a combat vet from Israel. Let's get he into the, uh, yeah. the premise of the show, though, sure. because people might not know that you're recreating these scenes right. from famous Hollywood movies and seeing, can you make the shot? Is it possible? Is this just Hollywood I bullshit? Always, yeah, I always, fr- I always frame it as if you're watching a movie late at night or TV and you go, 
come on, man. Can you do that? We all do that, right? Yeah. We all go, uh, I don't know. That's the purpose of the show uh, is to see can I, using you know a lever-action yellow boy rifle like they used in Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, can I hit the hangman's rope 40 yards away, you know, the exact caliber, um, um, diameter rope, hemp rope, 40 yards away and sever it like he did in the movie. Is it doable? So, or is it, you know, when I did, the, we did the Jaws episode where I shot the M1, M1 Garand, and I was on a mast and we had a moving shark target coming at me with a, with a scuba tank in its mouth. And so we, then we test, can you hit the, can you hit that little pie plate bottom of the cylinder? Okay. I, I was able to do that. I think I hit three out of six, so that's okay. And then we, for safety version, for safety reasons, we then took the cylinder filled it with air Put it back to 300 yards. I hit it. I hit it with, uh, actually, my, my buddy uh, Corey had his, uh, his 308, and I hit it and did some interesting things to the shark. We had a $8,000 mock-up shark. It looked amazing. It looked like the thing <laughs> of Jaws. Yeah. And then we then just for fun, because it wasn't blowy-uppy, because it was compressed air, and we sort of knew that, I put some tannerite on the side of the tank, and I just blew it to smithereens. So... It's been interesting because a lot of the stuff, dude, so that's what we do. And, you know, sure. the goal is not to uh, debunk the show, uh, debunk a movie, because that's no fun. Oh, it's BS. It's to celebrate it. I get to play the characters. Like, you get in the full costume, everything. Dude, I'm an actor. So, you know, <laughs> so I get to play dress up, too. You know, I'm, I'm dressed like Clint Eastwood. I was, you know, for McLean, I was wearing the wife beater, run around bare feet with a Beretta. And, uh, yeah, so I get to – so it's a combination. I think the show, what's, what's working, what's fun about it is that if you're a gun guy, there's some stuff there for you. If you're a weapons guy, oh, cool. If you're someone who just likes movies and, and TV shows and you're like, man, I love that, yes. If you're someone who's into special effects, because I also work with a lot of special effects guys to show you how those guys make it look so cool on film. If you like a buddy comedy, uh, you know, Larry's the adult, I'm the child, he's <laughs> Abbott, I'm Costello, you'll dig it. And I, so I think we kind of we have an interesting audience. I've gotten a lot of really nice feedback from, it. and it's fun, dude. It's like you would love to do it. You would love to do it, Ian. And Jack, I don't think I'd be as, as successful have, as you. I mean, you guys than, are both you guys are both snipers. I'm you're better far than you from it. Have you, 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 have you, you done Lethal Weapon yet? But that, by the way, so second season. Here's some of the ones we want to do, <laughs> and I, we also say at the end of the show, I always say, "Hey, you got any ideas? Hit us up at Hollywood Weapons." So I definitely want to do. I've already made them commit to it. So the second season, I want to do the Dirty Harry one where he comes out of the diner. On that, and he's eating the hot dog, and he's got the forty-four yeah. magnum. He's got to shoot one-handed. That's going to be an, a hard shot. We're going to do some. We're going to try to do some lethal weapon stuff. I want to do some stuff from like some of the seventies cop shows I grew up with, like like uh, maybe Kojak or Starsky and Hutch. There's some. There's a wealth of stuff out mm -hmm. there, gun stuff. Like, hey man, is that actually possible? We were thinking of doing like an hour-long episode. It's a half-hour show, so it's really fast. We're thinking to an hour-long episode, maybe like World War II stuff, World War II movies, you know, like Kelly's Heroes or, or you know, some of those. And, and, and we got a, we have a, it's wide open right now. And it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun, man. It's been a lot of fun. It's just been so much fun. How can I complain? You were showing me the preview earlier uh, where you're playing Captain Kirk and you're yeah. fighting the Lizard Man. Yep. I had to choreograph. Well, because I even said to him, I got, I got an idea. Let's do that fight scene with, with Gore and the Lizard Man. So, you know, I'm dressed just like Kirk, and I that really bad <laughs> double-handed punch and the awful kick, and he's grappling with him. And he, I, we choreographed, so it looks exactly like if you were just walking in the living room, you'd go, oh, wow, an old Star Trek episode is on. And we tested to see, you know, he made that homemade cannon. And so sometimes in the show, it works. It works full-on, holy shit, it worked. Ever first take? Yeah, oh, yeah, quite a few. Yeah, quite a few. And then some of them, like... Eh, maybe, maybe not. So like the Rambo one with the powder, where he ignites the powder with the M60. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the first time we tried that, we were shooting it through plexiglass and stuff. 
the blast, the muzzle blast from the from the from the sixty, which is a seven sixty two machine gun, just pushed all the powder away. You could see on the Phantom cam with slow motion a little bit of flame, but it was pushed away and blown out. So Larry's like, well, we could tweak it a bit because it was at a hardware store. Maybe there's some grooves in the planks. So we were able to put a little more powder. And once that happened, man, it actually took off. What did you do for the Die Hard episode? So, yeah. So we did two things. There was that iconic scene uh, where he gets he gets blown off the roof. and he's Yeah, at the hose, hose, yeah. And he swings and he can't get through the window. And so he pushes off. He pushes off and he starts. He takes his bread and shoots it in six rounds. So we do it exactly that and see if he can push through the window. We also did, just for fun, you know, there was a lot of MP5s rolling around in that show. He had that for a while. So I actually used the MP5 for 20 rounds. That's a cool new thing at the time. It was a very hip gun. Actually, so was the Beretta. I mean, yeah, the, the 92F. The, the 92F. First, first time we saw that was in Lethal Weapon. Lethal Mel Weapon. Gibson, exactly, yeah. right. Exactly. So, like, stuff like that, dude, you'll dig because it's, you know, if you know the shows and you know the movie, like, oh, I remember that gun. And the Beretta 92 was pretty much my service gun my whole career. So I, told, I looked at Larry again, man, I better not suck. You know, that better not suck. So there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure, dude, because it's like one take. Like, you got to try it. And if I blow it, okay. You know, and like I said, we don't debunk the show. I just, you know, and if I miss it or it doesn't work quite as well, I go, ah, Clint Eastwood could have done it. You know, so <laughs> you got to give credit to the, to the guys who made the, the, the character. So we did a Rambo thing. We did Predator with a minigun. I got to meet Bill Duke, the guy who played um, Mac. Mac. Super yeah. nice guy, you guys. He was so cool and friendly to me. I had like a 45-minute interview with this cat. That's awesome. I asked him a lot of questions about actor stuff, too. I said, was that, was that shaving? Remember in the movie, yeah. he's doing the dry <laughs> shave. And I was like, i got to ask you, because I'm an actor, too. Was that an actor's choice, or was that written in the script? He goes, no, nah, I came up with it myself, because I thought, and he's not even a military guy. He goes, I just figured guys like that would have, have to have some kind of channel for their nervous energy. I said, dude, that was such a great fucking choice. Dude, he was like, that was like one of the best portrayals of a soldier in any movie He was ever. great. Yeah, he was yeah. brilliant. He was, yeah, I'm going to bleach out. I'm going to have me some fun. I'm going to have me some fun. Yeah, and he goes, I, he goes, he goes I, I'm tired of you. He says something like, you're ghosting us. You're ghosting <laughs> us. You're ghosting us. That was it. You're ghosting us, man. He goes, I'm going to cut you good. Leave you bleeding real. Yeah, it was just so, and he was And so, you get to recreate those lines. <laughs> yeah, well, I even asked him before, before we did the test, I said, so Bill, you know, you got any, you got any last words for me? And he's like, if it bleeds, you can kill it. <laughs> I was like, and he actually came on another surprise. So he actually came out to the range on test day, and I did not expect that. So I'm talking to Larry, and all of a sudden he goes, yeah, I got something else for you. I look out, and there's Bill Duke. So, you know, he didn't do it, but he, uh, you know, I did the minigun with blanks. You can't shoot a minigun. Yeah, the minigun thing is bullshit. You can't, like, you can't do yeah, that. And we talk about that. Yeah. It is impossible. So we did it, but I did it just like in the movie where I had the blanks and the belt, and it looks badass. It looks yeah, cool. Oh, it's so much fun. And then we actually mounted to a tripod, and actually, Larry had that gun so nice. I'm thinking it was close to two minutes straight. I've never done that in real life. Two minutes straight minigun. <laughs> back and forth traversing across this homemade you know this man-made jungle we made barrels glowing by then the barrel was on it was just it looked like it was it was cut it was it was cooking the air holy so shit. and it was so it's, you know dude it's a lot of fun uh if you dig guns you'll dig it if you like the movies you like there's a scene eh, okay and i just i'm really lucky because i retired in october and i was already filming the series so you know it's hard for guys like us to get out because we're thinking what do i do with my life now and I had other things potentially lined up, and I still do. But that was nice because I was actually still I was filming it in Gunsight, Arizona, the day, October 10th when I retired. So I got kind of lucky. 
that I was already segued yeah. into another. Congratulations, project. man! Yeah, it was good. It was cool. Well, I, you, and you've been a guy who's been doing this for years. I mean, for the people who aren't that familiar with Terry, you've done Shark Week. You're a regular on Will Cow's show. Dude, you, you're screwed. I had a, a survival show on Discovery. I did my first big break was was Warriors with Terry Shapper on History. And as you've said, you're a trained actor, so yeah. it's, it's kind of a natural transition for you. Yet at the same time, you've been pretty honest in saying it's a little bittersweet to not be a Green Beret anymore, to be a former Green Beret. Yeah, and I don't like, I don't like that. You know, now we call ourselves FAGs, former action guys, <laughs> as opposed to, you know, action guys. And, Reminds and, me of Team America World Police. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yep. and, and, uh, but, it, you know, I was talking to Jack before we started, before you went on air. I, I, I was a little worried about it. I still kind of am because in my quiet moments, I think, God, man, what, what do I do? You know, I mean, that was my, I was almost a quarter of a century doing that. It's your I, identity. It's your identity. So even when I'm walking around in New York City, I often think to myself, man, what, what separated me from that herd is not me anymore. So it kind of, I guess you got to put the ego down a little bit maybe, right? I mean, you've been, you've been out yeah. for a while. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think the smart thing you did is that you already had a, a transition plan. You know, you were already on your way out. And I encourage other guys to do that. Like I, I was saying to another guy I know, who's getting out maybe in like a year and he's already starting up business things and stuff Good for like him. that. And I was like, that's smart because the last thing you want to do is get out of the military and then ask yourself that. Now question. what? Yeah. Now what? Well, now you're screwed because you, you don't have a job. Too much have, lag time. Yeah. Anyone sitting around on the couch drinking Jim Beam. That's not, not good. good for any of us. No. Uh, yeah. Wasn't that kind of you to be honest a little bit, maybe not the Jim Beam, um, but you didn't have, you've said before that you were, uh, you were trying to apply for jobs that they said you were overqualified for. And yeah, yeah. Well, that happened. Um, I did go through a little bit of a limbo, but I, I by the time I got out, uh, I knew that I was going to be going to college. What year did you punch out again? Two thousand ten. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So you had school lined up. Yeah. Um, but it's hard. A lot of guys, you know, man. We just talk about Mike Mantenuto, that the actor that he did such a great job in that movie, uh, Miracle. Went into special forces about a week and a half, two weeks ago. He killed himself. It's, I, it's some, uh, Kurt Schlichter, who's a guy I follow on Twitter, he's a very conservative guy, but he actually wrote a tweet right after that. Actually, this guy Bob Owens killed himself too. I don't even know who he is. Have you ever see, heard of Bob Owens? Very interesting guy, Second Amendment guy. I saw that. Yeah. Very humble. And he was witty as shit. Like, people would come after him and he would just, in a very clever, you can't beat it kind of way, just crushed him, but it, with a smile on his face. And he committed suicide, and it was awful because, like, his last Facebook post was, I guess I'm not as strong as I used, uh, thought I was or told you I was. I'm kind of a coward. I'm sorry. It also kind of sucks when a guy who's pro-Second Amendment out there about it, you know, killed himself. Him, well, himself. And, then, and then the vultures that piled on, that, that, that it was awful. Like, the, oh, that's what you get, asshole. I was like, man, you have no class. Yeah. So, and, but, but Kurt Schlichter said, hey, guys, you know, if you're thinking about doing that, just reach out to one of us. Just, just maybe, maybe... Just give us a chance. What do you got to lose? And and it, it is hard. I was just at a charity for this, these guys, Task Force Dagger, last weekend. And uh, it was awesome. I'm actually doing something for those dudes down in Key West in, in June. June, we do a big dive. Uh, we bring the, not just Special Forces guys, but their families. So they all go. They all get certified. They all go diving. But, you know, some of those guys in these charities, man, they're getting calls at 2 o'clock in the morning. Like, if you don't, if you don't help me, I'm not going to be here Tuesday. Yeah. Holy yeah. shit. I mean, this is really happening. And I don't, ah, that's another topic for, for a longer day, maybe. I mean, I, we're complicated. We're complicated guys, and we do get hurt. It's very hard to admit it. We don't want to be that dude. Like, 
you're a Ranger Battalion guy, right? I went to Ranger school. We are both SF. One of the things we never want to be is that guy, the burden, the yeah. one who, who brings down the unit. Yeah. So, right? I mean, I think that's... And that, by the way, that peer pressure is good. It's effective in that it keeps guys really, really humming and doing their best. But sometimes it will isolate you. And when that happens, then, then, you could, then you're fucked. You know, and I've, I've struggled with some, some, some issues as well. So I feel like almost all the... You know, being the civilian who gets to meet guys like Yeah, you, you talk to us a lot. I, yeah. I feel like I hear it from most... Uh, yeah. special operations it's, and it's hard to admit but, but if we're honest with ourselves you know it's ah it sucks you know uh, it's it, it is an ego thing too because it I is. mean we're all we're all prima donnas thinking we're the ultimate badass. unbeatable too unbeatable yeah, ultimate badass <laughs> blah 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 but then how many guys get out of the military and the second they do they're like falling apart yep or struggling i mean we all struggle to, to some extent yeah man but it's like well maybe we need to set aside all the i'm a badass uh you know what are the other sayings that are out there? I don't right need now? help or you don't help me. But yeah. I also think, and, and, and but this, like, like Task Force Dagger is, is doing well. And SOCOM, actually, I asked them, SOCOM's trying pretty hard. SOCOM is putting forth a pretty good effort to kind of reach out to all. And it's not just special ops guys. It's even like conventional guys that got wounded with stuff during our operations. But, you know, at some point, the regiment, I'm speaking for the Special Forces Regiment, has to potentially look inside itself and start looking to take care of guys when they get out. I don't know, man. I feel like in a lot of ways, guys just get out and you're just dumped on the street. Yeah, we don't, I don't we, think it's intentionally mean. It just happens. Yeah. Yeah, the military doesn't take responsibility uh, for what, what happens. I mean, they just slide that paperwork across the desk and you're, you're out. Off you go. And, yeah. uh, and it's funny how... I don't know if I want to get into this too much, but it's yeah, funny. I didn't, I didn't, you are on Facebook Live. It's so funny. It's like how, the only I didn't time mean, we can't edit shows. I didn't mean to get on that road. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I, I think it's an important I'll road just to go say, down. I th- it is. I think it's funny how the military sometimes tries to reach to the guys who are out and put like pressure on them and say, like, no, 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 don't do this, don't do that. But then it do- the, the military doesn't really take responsibility for these guys when their lives are falling apart. Right, they kind of walk from it. Yeah. Well, we also had a problem, too. I, I don't know what that's like right now, but I think it's still a problem. You know, so you think about this. You get guys, and Jack was in that world. You get, you get special forces guys that are rolling on deployment after deployment after deployment. And then they come back, and maybe they get a DUI. You know, they get jammed up. They fuck up. They'll, they'll get their tab revoked. You know, U.S. Army Special Forces Command goes in and, and actually, you know, takes their tab away. You've now that means you actually can't ever really claim your green break. You've seen guys anymore. have their ta- be detabbed for a DUI. I've t- yeah, Donna really? Bragg. I've never seen it happen, but I've talked to guys that it happened. Guys have, and and for other things too. Like, I guess what I'm saying is, when guys start breaking and everybody breaks, yeah, and they and they fuck up. They get jammed up. They do this. I don't know. Whatever the kind of thing is, you know. Instead of like, hey, maybe we can help this dude. A lot of times they're just like, we crush them. And I'm, I'm, I'm painting with a broad brush. And it's not like, oh, woe is me. But I think just from a long term point of view, from the regiment's health, they've got to maybe reexamine a couple things on how we handle guys in, how we transition them out, and then you know what's happening now, and it's working. Is that uh, you know the support structures for when you get out are actually being done by guys who are not in the military anymore. It's guys like us who are like, we can help you. And so uh, that's the right thing to do. I, I, that's another thing I'm, I'm, I'm planning on getting into. I've already started getting involved in some of that stuff more now that I'm out because I got no excuse now to not do it because now I can't, I can't say, well, I'm in, I'm busy. No, I'm fucking sure. out now, so I got to do that. Yeah, well, Jack and I not too long ago interviewed uh, Carl Monger, which, yeah. uh, what, what's his organization? Uh, Gallant Few. Gallant Few, yeah, and, and I think he gives out his number and says, like, hey, if it's an emergency-type situation, I'm there, yeah. 
and he makes himself available. There's a lot of great veterans organizations out there for you guys to check out, Gallant Few being one yeah. of them. Carl is, yeah, he's hardcore, like seriously committed, does a lot of work. And those yeah. guys are so yeah. unselfish. You know, yeah. like the guy, the Keith David, who's running Task Force Dagger, I mean, like I said, he's, he had like, he had, he had spinal surgery. They fused his spine. They go in through his trach, you know, yeah. past the trachea. Five days later, he's on his couch, and he's, he gets a call from guys like, I'm, I'm going to be dead by Tuesday. Boom, activate the bat phone. In an hour, there's plane tickets. He's getting admitted to the Cleveland Clinic, all this kind of stuff. But, you know, you're now putting that on, and they're doing that just out of love, yeah. you know? So it I, is I, very unselfish, and you also have to think about the guy fielding those phone calls day in and day out. Yeah, right, and uh, then they start getting crushed. Yeah, that's it's not like easy. You start seeing this stuff over and over again. Anyway, I, I hope we didn't, I don't mean to digress into this kind no, of no, stuff. No, 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 I think, I think it's like, like I said, it's yeah. important. Uh, it actually, is. wrapping up uh, that topic, though, have by any chance have you guys seen the new All That Remains video, Madness? No, uh-uh. So, great band. And our friend Chris Tonto Peranto, it stars in the video. So, Phil Labonte, who fronts All That Remains, is a former Marine himself. He's great, yeah, he's great. Yeah, so, I mean, veterans' issues, very important thing to him. Yeah. Uh, and Chris Peranto plays a suicidal vet, and you know his daughter walks in the room, and it it, it stops him oh, from shooting shit. himself. And Chris has said actually on this show on Soft Rep Radio that he he doesn't feel he, he was necessarily playing a part. He was saying that's where that's I was at that stage right in on. life, and he wrote a whole article about that he was at a airport one time, and he was feeling kind of suicidal during the whole Benghazi stuff because he said. The mainstream media wasn't having us on. We were all being told we were liars. Marginalized, yeah. And he said some older lady at an airport just came up to him and was like, hey, are you Tonto? And he said, I, I didn't want to talk to this woman. I kind of just wanted to be left alone. And he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm Tonto. And she said, hey, I, I love what you're saying. Keep speaking your truth. And he says, this woman doesn't know it. But right. she stopped me Isn't from profound, doing something dude. stupid to myself. That's profound. Yeah. yeah. I think most Americans, I don't know, Jack, you, you tell me, I, I, think, I think most Americans appreciate what we do. I, I really do. I, I think, but I think a lot of them are unaware of, of the whole thing. You know, another thing we got too. So if you look at, and this sounds, every one of them means something to us, right? I mean, I'm wearing one, I'm wearing my, you know, Tim McGill on my wrist right now. But in a relative way, you know, we've lost, compared to what we've lost in World War II, it's, it's, it's not a lot of guys. Yeah. So it's easy for the, for, the, for the folks at home who are not, they don't know Jack Murphy, you know, they're not your brother, or you guys, you know, they don't know us. We are becoming, in, in a weird way, a bit of a chance of being a lost generation because in World War II, everybody had somebody over there, uncle, son, brother, father. Okay, every, and the country was rationing butter, tinfoil. Yeah. Like, everybody was involved in this effort. Now for a lot of people, they come back, and it's a news story. They go, oh, man, someone got killed in Afghanistan. What's for dinner? It's not their fault. Yeah, yeah. It's just the way it is. It, it, in an odd way, we fight it, for them to be able to be uh, dis- detached from it. Disassociated yeah. from it. I mean, yeah, how, how could you ever expect them to be as fully engaged the way we are? It's exactly. Like they get up in the morning, they go to work. They, they do take, their thing. Take care of their kids. And I would never want, you know, the average American to be in a position where it's like they have to be thinking about the war 24 exactly. Like on the, then, I mean, that's why we we fought so that they Americans don't have to. in general are not in that situation. Um, but yeah, it's a cultural divide. And uh, there's some thought that the military today is moving into a, a situation or a scenario where it's like today's American military is like sort of a like Knights of the Round Table kind of thing where yep. you have this like small professional force and it's also generational so like 
the people who are joining the military, you're probably joining because your dad and your grandfather were right. Also you were in the influenced military. by someone directly involved with right. You. So it's becoming like a more and more even more culture. Yeah, uh, and we don't have conscription like during World War II right. or, or even Vietnam, which we want. I don't want that. So actually, in a way, so but. less and less people have that familiarity or that understanding with the military. Um, and like South Korea, they have conscription. Um, in the Philippines, they did away with ROTC, um, but they might be bringing something like that back. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about a point, whatever percentage, point zero percentage of the, of the population is in the military, right? I, I don't know the number. I, I should have looked that up. But I, whatever it is, it's quite small. So the, my point is, what keeps us alive after we die is the continued stories and those kind of like that tradition of talking about my uncle. Well, if, if we only have point zero something percent of the dudes doing it over a couple of generations, that just goes away. Yeah. So it's, you know what I mean? So in a weird yeah. way, that's, that's where it kind of just, it just erases itself by time, you know? That's why on a show recently, we had it on a guy like Jim Downing, Pearl Harbor survivor. Yeah. And it's crazy to think we're the last of a generation God, that's going to talk to Pearl Harbor survivors, Holocaust survivors. By the time maybe I have kids or by the time your daughter is, is a teenager, yeah. these guys won't be around. Yep. Absolutely. Even the Vietnam veterans are getting older. If you think about they it, sure they sure are. They're getting in their seventies now. Yeah, dude, they're, they're, yeah. those cats are those, they're up there now. You know. Anyway, so uh, anyway, buzzkill here. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't, I, well, no, it's not a buzzkill. It's actually. I think I'm hopeful. You know, I'm hopeful, but I'm also just realistic. You, you also know, know just, you never know who's watching this Facebook Live right now, and yeah. they might have just heard about Gallant Few. So, I mean, there's a positive to it. And if there's some of your, if there's someone out there listening right now, I will say this seriously. Because you have a lot of military guys listening to you guys and give a shit what you say. If you're listening to this and you're kind of treading that line, before you do it, before you do something like that and just, and just destroy all the people who you may or may not know love you, just get, as, give us, a, as Kurt Schlichter said, just give us a chance. Call one of us. If someone called me and said, that's it for me, do you, would, you do, would you do anything? You'd move heaven and earth for them. Yeah. But half the time, we're like, I had no idea. Yeah. So just, you know, don't look for the government to help you, the VA, and they, they try. But the, we cared the most about each other downrange. It was us. It was just us. And so it's kind of that way now. So if you're listening to this and there's, you're having a bad time, man, hit up one of your buddies. Trust me. He will be there for you. And I think that's the only way to start it right now because... We just isolate ourselves, and, it, and it's just kind of the culture we're in. It's a warrior culture. I'm actually writing a book about it. I got a deal that I'm writing about. I'm it's looking about, forward to it. You just you put out a, uh, a weapons book, too. Yeah, so. that was a long time ago, and I want, I want to call that book. It was supposed to be a fun book called The Green Beret's Guide to, to Lazy Street Survival, which I thought was a cool title. And the publisher was like, uh, we, don't th- we don't want the people to you know, uh, misconstrue that it's not an official Green Beret. I said, people, listen, I said, let's, let's talk to, to Brandon Webb. You throw the name Seal on a book, and every motherfucker is going to buy it. So if you throw Green Beret on there, yeah, okay, we're not as sexy as the Seals, right? But we, they tend to have better hair, except for you have great hair still, Jack. But it's like, you know what I mean? If, if, but they just didn't understand that. I was like, if you put Green Beret on it, because that's what I was, I was still in at the time, I was like, people are going to be interested in that. I want to, I want to have a fun, and they made it very straight. But I'm, I'm you know, I'm in the What's process. What's it called again for people who want, who want to it's, buy it? It's called, uh, it's called uh, Improvised Weaponry, How to, How to Survive with Everything You've That's Got. That's right. And it's a lot of fun. I have a signed copy by you. It's almost comparable to Quint Emerson, Navy SEAL's uh, 100 Deadly Skills. It's a similar... Yeah, but it's a lot of, of tongue-in-cheek stuff. It's a lot of fun. I talk about some experiences and just sort of like, uh, you know, creativity stuff. Like when you're with your wife or, or girlfriend out at a restaurant and, and you, know, you just start playing creative games like you realize right now. 
I could pick that mug up and break it over your head. You wouldn't even be able to stop me. Oh, that's interesting, asshole. I could take this rigid menu and shove it under your throat. And I said, just make sure you don't say it loud enough so people are like, we got to call the cops. But it was like kind of fun because I think what gets people jammed up always is they're just not, you know, like I said, don't, don't walk out of a, a, a parking lot in Walmart with your head buried in your fucking cell phone at midnight. That's, yeah, you're you're yeah. getting, but people do that stuff all the time. I talked about this this Indian woman. She was like sixty something years old. She fought off a tiger with a farm implement, <laughs> and she fought this thing for like forty five minutes and walked back to the village. She didn't have any martial arts training. You know, I basically talk about unleashing the inner chimp. No one wants to fight a fucking crazy dude. You know, uh, so that that was that book. But I'm 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 working on a book now called Warrior Culture. Um, you guys better not steal it. I've already got a thing on it. Um, but it's a, and it's about what we are. Because I mean, I'm, I have an anthropology degree. I've kept that uh, going. Both of you guys are pretty well educated. Well, let's be I, honest. And, and I want to tie that in the anthropological aspect of of societies. There's a good reason why they have warrior cultures. And you know, the dirty secret is too. It's not just because we're all altruistic. Gazakas like to fight, and it would behoove a society to find a place for us that's not destructive to the society. So. Get us ready for battle. Have us fight your enemies, because otherwise we can become really bad criminals. It's the same. I think that's why the GI Bill exists in the first place. Like for a country, it's a bad thing to have large numbers of unemployed veterans on your streets. It's a not a good idea. <laughs> we we know well. it's not it's not a good idea. So anyway, man, I, I I look at it from a you know, and also warrior culture. So what is a warrior in my in my book? It is narrowly defined as someone who's gone to war or goes to war. So it's not like an MMA fighter is not a warrior. He's a fighter. Unless it's Tim Kennedy. Unless it's Tim Kennedy. That's Tim, <laughs> Tim Kennedy is all of those things. But you know what I'm saying? So for the word warrior, in this case, it's got to be someone who actually goes to combat, and it's a life or death situation, not a social justice warrior, not a cancer warrior. No, <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not, I don't say that mockingly. You're not a cancer warrior. We could mock social justice Yeah, warriors. we can. But, and also, culture is a set of learned behaviors. So what, yeah. is, how do you, what is that learned behavior set that gets passed on through different societies? And there's good and there's bad. There's really good things about it, and there's some things that are self-destructive, and finding where, that, where you can channel that for society is, is actually always a challenge. Anyway. What, any idea when that'll be out? Uh, I should be done with it. I'm thinking in the next... I want to say by fall. Nice. I think nice. by fall. Yeah. I, I was going to mention to you, Jack, uh, other than the article that you wrote, which we covered earlier of uh, you going to South Korea, you're writing, what, like a 20-something part series on Korea. On yeah, on on debt K. Let's get into force. that because I it's it, every few days I'm seeing a new article on softrep.com <laughs> from you and it's pretty so, cool. Well, yeah, that's because um, so I do this all the time when I try to like research a topic or an article is that I um, I always underestimate how much research I should do. Or you over, underestimate or over overestimate. So anyway, long story short, what I do is I, I keep thinking I need to gather more information. So I do more interviews, more no, interviews, just more interviews. It. And then I realize I have like 50 pages of notes that uh, for one article. And I'm like, holy okay, shit, I got plenty. So I ended up. Uh, so this article is 20 pages long. And also the detachment, it's the special forces uh, resident team in Korea. They stay in South Korea. The guys, the personnel, individual people rotate in and out. But they stay there in Korea and uh, provide a liaison function to the South Korean special forces. So in its debt K is a little bit bigger than an ODA, plus some support guys, a couple riggers, admin guys, whatever. And uh, 
they each guy on the debt is assigned to liaison with a different special forces, South Korean special forces unit. And they're the guy that knows everything about that special forces brigade, their capability and everything numbers, about everything, them. everything. And their office many times is right next to the brigade commander. Hmm. And we're talking about a, you know, E seven, E eight that has tremendous influence over. That's a big job for E seven, E eight over doctrine, uh, training job. who is advising a special forces colonel. That's a big job. Yeah, and, and there's over the years there's been some jealousy from the officer cast that they don't like that there's NCOs doing this and they've tried to disband the unit a few really? times. Really? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the the debt started in 1960. Is about the paperwork is a little dicey and there's some controversy about when exactly it started. It was first known as Detachment 40, and it's been going since then um, and has had. Tremendous influence over South Korean special forces and special operations in general, um, and I mean, I un- I I would like to think I did some good work on it, and I uncovered some really interesting stuff, That's like cool. like Green Berets going out with uh, South Korean special forces in the 1960s, hunting down North Korean infiltrators. I did not know about that. I would love to yes. hear about that. Yeah, I'm good. not surprised when you say it, but still, we don't hear about it you didn't hear about it yeah i and i actually have pictures of some of it uh, oh, that i published of like north korean infiltrators shot up and everything yeah it was like the wild west and you have to understand like the korean war wrecked that peninsula yeah there were people thought it was never going to recover um the guys some of the guys i interviewed who were in the detachment in the 1960s describe how in seoul in the capital of, of south korea dirt roads people living in shanties can you imagine that i mean Horse-drawn carriages or mule-drawn carts. Wow. Um, you know, one of the guy provided me with all these pictures, and one of them is a guy riding a bicycle with a pig tied down to the back of the bicycle. He's like, what they would do is get the pig drunk on, like, soju till it passes out and then tie it to, like, a little bench on the back of the motorcycle, and that's how they transported the you know, pig oh, from boy. one village to the next. Soju's pretty good. Okay. Yeah. I like it. There were, there were very few paved roads. And this is like 1960, you said. This is 1960s, yeah. There's like one hotel in Seoul. And look at it now, man. I mean, I've never been, but I've seen... It's amazing. I I just came back, and it is a triumph of capitalism. It is, isn't it? It's beautiful. (laughs) That city reminds me, my first impression of it, it reminds me of Switzerland, how well the infrastructure is developed. That good. How well thought out and well planned it is. Um, And I'm sure there's parts of it that aren't so rosy, but I mean, it is a first world country. Yeah, yeah. It's part of the modern world. All those um, stereotypes or even uh, preconceptions that I had of of East Asia, um, you know, like something from an Indiana Jones movie or something. It's it's not like that. Not like that. It's not like that at all. That's like, well, I spent quite a bit of time in Singapore, as I said, but I already knew that about Singapore. I think many people might not think that about Korea. My father spent a lot of time there because he was working in, in Singapore. And it's an interesting place. Do you think the North will ever be uh, reunited with the South in any way, or is that... It's hard to say. I mean, people, there are different people with different opinions. Um, some of the people I interviewed say, yeah, it could happen tomorrow. Um, for some of the reasons I was saying previously. Um, There are other people who are like, you know, I used to think so, but I'm very skeptical now. Um, I think think it's possible. Yeah, sure. I think it's possible. But it's something that we have to plan for. Um, and be ready for, like you said. And be ready for. And uh, there are, like, some things we can do, like propaganda operations. Right. There are some um, positive signs. Like, so in the past, North Korea had such a stranglehold over the people of the country. The North Koreans thought they were the lucky ones. 
right? And the really? South, the South are the ones they have. They're living under tyranny. Look at them; they're suffering. They're suffering over there. So th- that's how propagandized they were. That's a, that was in the past. Now, in, today, in the present, um, most of the people in North Korea they know they're not. They, they can't be under any illusion. That now they're, being they're now they're aware. Like one story that yeah. a, a, a special forces sergeant major was telling me was um, they learned this through North Korean defectors was that. The North Koreans have been uh, growing marijuana and selling it to the Chinese. The Chinese are, in exchange, part of the payment is um, DVDs from South Korea. Jeez. And the soaps, the <laughs> South Korean soap operas have become Huge. very popular in North Korea. And the people, after lights out, you know, they're, they're getting their DVDs and putting the, the uh, forbidden DVDs that's kind of how that stuff happens, though. Yeah, that's how that that's how that that cascade maybe starts to go because right. you know instead of like you said, as a military, like let's no, like these tastes of culture, these tastes of like yeah. glimpses of freedom, right? That doesn't go away once once you know something, you can't unknow it. There's a a, a culture, a, a country that trusts itself, that has freedom. You know, you open it up and you you let people see and experience your country. And you believe that your system is really legitimately better. Yeah, right and on. evil countries like North Korea are going to try to clamp down because they, they're corrupt. They're yep. criminals. Um, so the good news is that the people of North Korea are learning about the rest of the world. Yeah. And they're learning about their cousins over in the South. Um, and that could be a positive development that in time leads to some sort of... Um, some sort of change. Revision. Yeah, some sort of change. Yeah. I think that's I, that seems more more uh, more possible or you know uh, supportable than you know nuclear war. That's not going to happen. Yeah, no, I, I don't think so. And it, the other interesting thing too is people have asked, you know, well, why why is America still in South Korea, um, in a situation where today we partly thanks to the United States, partly because of the perseverance of the South Korean people we have gotten their military to the point where they can defend themselves. They mm-hmm. can fight their own fight. They don't need America. But without American help, the costs are going to be much higher. Their country will, again, be wrecked. Whereas if the United States is there and helps and participates, the damage won't be as extensive. It'll still be extensive, but it won't be as bad. Yeah. Um, there's got to be. There's also the element of moral support, too. I think that was one of the things that, you know... It's, de- it's deterrence. It is deterrence. Yeah. yeah it's deterrence. Because the North Koreans know if they invade, they're not just going to be facing South Korea. They're going to be facing the United States. The big guy. You might kick our ass in the first 12 hours, but first we'll, 24 we'll, we'll hours. But we'll pay for it. There's carrier groups coming. It's yeah, not- you're going to pay. If, you, yeah, if, you, if yeah. you fuck with the second ID and do something like that, it's, we're yeah, going to crush yeah, it. Yeah, they, they know they will be facing. And China would get out of the way. They, they will be facing it. Americans. Yeah, and that's the interesting thing, too, that I, I inquired about was, if uh, would China get involved? If the I don't war think they would. Off? And the the prevailing wisdom, I guess you could say, and this is partly based off of um, our talks, you right. know, back channel communications, also with the Chinese, is that if the North Koreans instigate the war, yeah, if they start the it. Chinese. That's the vibe. I mean, I'm nobody. I don't know, but I think that's what would happen. Yeah. Because there, again, there's nothing in it for them to not do that. There's also some thought that uh, if if they did instigate the war, if the North did that the country, that North Korea, may end up being divided between the Chinese and the South Koreans. That's interesting. 
a, a number of different scenarios could play out. Yeah. And I, I don't think I'm qualified to say Me neither. what would happen. No, I'm not what, either, exactly man. We're, what just, would happen. Yeah. we're a couple of old SF guys spitballing <laughs> it. Yeah. You know. Just to our reset for the people watching on Facebook Live, this is the first time that we're doing this. Uh, if you want to see more of this type of footage and hear these type of shows, you can join now at SoftRepRadio.us, where we're doing two shows a week. Uh, so if you're just tuning in, Editor-in-Chief of SoftRep, Green Beret, Army Ranger Jack Murphy, and Green Beret Master Sergeant Terry Shepard. Uh, back to what we were saying, though. So this, this series of articles that you're writing, I noticed these were coming out while you were in South Korea. Right. Did you do a lot of this research prior to going and then just put all these Hell out? Hell yes, I was not doing that research while, <laughs> I, was wondering. I, while I was in the Philippines and while I was in South Korea. I'm I'd not, have been pretty impressed if you did. I do sleep once in a while. <laughs> That'd have been pretty impressive. I do sleep. No, that, that article took a really long time to write. It took months. And, uh, but then I had a 20-page article, and I said, you know what, this will give some uh, – you guys can run this while I'm abroad. So you know, while I'm not around and I'm not writing, you have something that you can use. Well, while we're hitting that, because I know we're probably getting close to being on time. I, we talked a little bit before we started. We've talked quite a bit about Korea, obviously. Yeah. Quick uh, – give us a quick right thing about the Philippines. What do you think with Duterte and what's – What's the vibe with us, with them? Where do you think that's going? So, I mean, I'm being a big, dumb question. But. Yeah, so the vibe, um, I, I would say overall positive. Yeah. Um, the Duterte thing is one issue, but I, I would put it this way. The, the ties between the United States and the Philippines are incredibly Quite strong. strong. Yeah, incredibly I, strong. That's totally true. Duterte likes Trump. Despite the rhetoric. <laughs> Does he? Yeah. Despite the rhetoric from the president of the Philippines saying, you know, this and that about America... Um, or even our own president um, saying bombastic things. Yes, it does look like the two of them may be working together. Duterte, also like Trump, it's a little schizophrenic. So one day he's on a Chinese warship shaking right. hands. The next day he's on a Russian warship. Yeah. But then I'm cruising around the country. I'm meeting first special forces group guys. I'm meeting guys from SEAL Team 7. I'm running into MARSOC guys in some remote market on an island. So we are there. Yeah, We're there. We are. Um, and the the institutional... Um, relationships between our two countries are so strong and have been there for so long. Yeah. Like the Filipino Military Academy is modeled off of West Point. Uh, so many Filipino officers I met had been to, um, done their pro postgraduate war school in work the US. here in yeah. the U.S. Yeah. Um, I met guys who had been to the Ranger School at yeah. Fort Benning. Yeah, I remember those. I met guys who graduated from the Q Course down at Bragg. Mm -hmm. uh, I met guys who had been trained by Green Berets in country. Um, so many, all these sorts of liaisons and relationships. So I don't think that our relationship with the Philippines is necessarily in danger. No, I didn't I get that thing. Yeah. And I think, you know, that, that's a relationship worth cultivating. You yeah, know, absolutely. To continue to cultivate. Absolutely. And also that's another thing we can just push China away from. Yeah, they're good, they're good people. You're right. Um, pragmatically, strategically, um, that's another area that we're in the South China Sea yeah. and that we need to, we need to check the Chinese aggression in Big the time. South China Sea, and the Philippines are uh, could be a part of that. Good place to do that. The Philippine people, the w people I interviewed at least, they feel that China is bullying them. You'll note that the uh, Hague ruled on the on favor of the Philippines, saying that yes, this the Scarborough Shoal, the um, it belongs the to Spratly them. Spratly Islands, that's Filipino yeah. sovereign territory. The Chinese should not be doing that. Um, so they feel that they're being bullied by the Chinese. Then they believe that the uh, 
you know, they're realistic. They're like, yeah, the Philippines isn't going to win in a war with China. We, if they did do something to us, we would let them into the country and then go like VC style guerrilla right. war on them. Yeah. Um, but they, they, so they're looking for diplomatic options. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's the general vibe there. Uh, another larger trend I was seeing was that the um, the Philippine government needs some work with um, maintenance, maintenance of equipment. So they, they procure equipment from America and elsewhere, but they don't maintain it. So that's a, that um, happens to a lot of places. That's a real problem. Yeah, that with, a lot with, of places we've been without constant American engagement. The shit breaks starts, and it, then it sits in warehouses, starts breaking down the helicopters, yeah. the night vision, the rifles all that cool guy gear we give them. So that's something that um, I hope that they can improve and maybe we can help them improve through yeah. some logistics work. Right on. Um, and then the other trend would be uh, there is a movement to create a SOCOM organization in the Philippines. They have a, an organization called SOCOM, but unlike ours, it is a SOCOM for their army. So that uh, light Not for all the branches? Light Reaction Regiment, uh, Scout Rangers, Special Forces, just the army units. Um, doesn't include NAVSOG, doesn't include MARSOG as of now. Yeah. So they're working to do that. And likewise, in uh, Korea, they don't have a SOCOM. And they're working on, the idea has been planted, and they're trying to work on that in both of those countries yeah. to actually get that established. There you go. Jack Murphy, <laughs> back from Asia. Last question I got to ask Jack, because yeah. I saw that in our uh, little private writers group. You had some pictures of the uh, of the food there. So how's the cuisine in uh, in both South Korea and the Philippines? I saw like a pig roast, right? The food is awesome. Yeah, the pig roast, they do it over a spit in the Philippines, and then they like cut it into like little squares, so you take the skin and the meat. Oh, I bet it. that's so good. Amazing. The food was amazing. Um Korea was very good, too. I found some pretty interesting uh, restaurants over there. I, I wanted to eat the live octopus. I didn't get the chance, though. You know where they cut it and the, no. the tentacles are squirming? And and you all, pop yeah. it in your mouth? Uh-huh. Uh, I, uh, that's the, interesting. The kimchi was great. I love the kimchi. I always think a kimchi is more of a, uh, well, I guess it is all of Korea. Yeah, that's true, because I love Korean food. I don't know why I'm thinking North Korea and South Korea. It's probably the same cuisine. I, I, yeah, I didn't, yeah, I didn't go there. It's all Korea. <laughs> cool. Didn't get to hang out with Kim Jong-un. No. Yeah. Um... So, yeah, no, food was great. The Philippines is a, is a blast. The Philippines has a little bit more of a Wild West kind of uh, climate to it. And, I, and the people there, I, I think, uh, like, culturally, I could jive with them pretty easily, you know, understand them. Um, maybe it's because I was hanging out with the soldiers so much and you kind of have that in common. Um, South Korea is like a true East Asian powerhouse country. Um, totally, it was interesting to me. This was really my first time traveling around Asia. You know, I've spent a lot of time in Europe, Middle East, spent some time in South America, a lot of time in Central America, some time in, uh, in Africa. But this is my first time really being in Asia. And it's just interesting walking around um, South Korea in a place that is, this is a totally different culture. I've never been to Asia at all. And that, so. that's, something that, uh, that's something also that the American Special Forces guys need to understand because I heard some complaints from the Filipinos. They're like, listen, we're not Afghans. We're not Arabs. Oh, so, you so don't, don't, don't come here from Afghanistan talking to us like we're Afghans. Thinking we're, yeah, yeah. calling us Haji and all that yeah, kind of Yeah, thinking stuff. we're illiterate dirt farmers. Yeah. Well, lot. that's interesting that actually, you know, I, I, I would think, the, you know, that's because the first group guys have been away from there. Maybe. I, I mean, I, I'm not a first group guy, but, I, you know, everyone's been over in the sandbox in some, some capacity. So 
I mean, that's always been first group's responsibility. So, yeah, you got to remember, man, that, you know, they're not the same. Yeah, these guys have been in, they're good in the woods, you know, and a lot of them have more trigger time in the field yeah, than a those, lot of young Green Berets. I was gonna going to say, those, and they, those guys have done the real thing for a long time, so don't insult them. You yeah, know, you know? I mean, doing like stuff we don't do anymore, like small. Um, Old school field craft stuff, yeah. ambushes, raids, right? That small, kind of stuff. Small in the woods. Seven, seven man patrols small in the tactics. jungle. Um, and, up, and at times up to entire battalion level movement to contact through the jungle where the battalion HQ is in the field. And if people don't know this that are listening, the jungle sucks. It sucks. It yeah. is awful. I, I, I think that's probably my least favorite place on earth uh, to operate. I just, I don't know, man. I just, it just crushes me. I mean, and I, I never was in group there. But I went to, uh, you know, JOTC, this jungle op, jungle uh, training course down in Fort Sherman. There was a recon, JRTC. But it was oh, in a, Panama? In Panama. Yeah. And it was, dude, it, I was like, this is awful. It's awful. <laughs> it's awful. and Because everything, everything in the jungle just seems like it's there to kick your ass. Sure. You know, my buddy John Hudson, who was in that show with me, dude, you're screwed. He's one of the chief seer instructors out for the, for the Brits. He's great one of the best dudes I know. He's was he a, the guy who kind of just went off the reservation during his episode where he didn't even try with his challenge? Oh, no, that was a different guy. Because I thought British. It was a British no, guy, No, right? no, he didn't. No, John would never go off the reservation, I don't think. Uh, <laughs> it was the guy who's like, I'm just going to enjoy myself. That was Tom Moore, I yeah, think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, John Hudson is the dude you want to have with you if things go bad. He's actually written some of their manuals, and he was telling me because he they he's you know the, the Brits are in the they're in Brunei and they go to all these other places. Belize back in the day. Belize. He, he was just in Belize not that long ago. Oh, really? Exactly. Yeah. They still they still do some do stuff that. there. Yeah. That's what I think he said he was there. Definitely Brunei and these other jungle places. And I said I fucking hate the jungle. And he's like, <laughs> he's cool. He's like, no, I love it, mate. He's like, you know, it's it, it's like the jungle is is one big grocery store. The problem is you don't know what any of the labels are. <laughs> I was like, yeah, well, that's fine. When I go to Seven Eleven, I want a hot dog, and I don't want to guess. So, and it's it's a place that's got a lot of stuff that could kill you. And there's water everywhere. You can't drink it. You know, there's like it's just one of those things. I don't know why, dude. I. I hate the jungle. With dude, you're screwed. I'll still always remember uh, Jake's wig, Navy SEAL. Great when guy. When that episode started, he, they gave him, I think, a can of tuna fish, right, with yeah. his stuff that he needed. And he was like, I don't eat fish. Screw this. And he just got rid of it. By the way. The one meal he had. <laughs> yeah, guess what? That was me because I knew he didn't like seafood. He, and by the way, he grew up on the northwest coast of yeah. the United States. He's from Washington State. He goes, man, I hate fish. And he talks to me. He goes, man, I hate fish. That does so, sound like him. Yeah. yeah. So when we go to Iceland, we gave him the teddy bear, you know, which he used, which was, he used pretty effectively, this big, huge teddy bear. I gave him, we all kind of give each other some things. Like I said, I'm giving Jake some, fer- it's like the national dish of Iceland. I forget the name of it in, in Icelandic, but it's fermented shark. And it that's, smells. That's what it was. It, yeah, sm- oh, it was in a, man. and dude, it was in a glass jar. I opened it up. I said, guys, check this out. I opened it up and everyone's like, oh my God, everybody goes away. So gross. But I was like, this is clean protein. It's calories. Let's just see. And you know what? Right off the bat, when he started his survival stuff, he's like, man, I ain't going to eat that. Yeah. He didn't eat it. And then didn't towards the, towards the end, I believe, he was like, man, I should have kept that. You, yeah, you don't turn down food no. ever. Yeah. Ever. We know that in the Army, too, man. When You you never turn down chow because you, you a couple days go by, you're like, man, that actually was probably would have been a good thing to have. <laughs> well, you talking about the uh, the Korean cuisine, man, that... I, I'm, I wish I could try it just because people watching this from all around the world have to realize like we're in a part of New York that's a few blocks from K-Town, which is all Korean yeah, food yeah. right by Penn Station. I grew up on Long Island next to Flushing, Queens, which a has lot of like Korean amazing stuff there. Korean if, food. If you want to eat good, I love uh, Korean food. It's if, like my favorite. If you wow. want to eat good Filipino food, I believe it's on First Avenue. <laughs> There's a restaurant called Jipneys. 
And Filipino place. Yeah, my, my friend took me there once, and he uh, he made me eat the balut. I will I will and not what, eat, what's I, that? I will not. No, you don't want to eat that. I will not eat that. It, it was. Uh, I'll I'll tell you this. It it was the first two thirds of it were very good, actually delicious. I'm but then I got that. to the crunchy stuff at the bottom. I'm not eating that. What, like, what is it exactly? It's a uh, fertilized chicken egg, and they're Ooh, okay. yeah, and they're fermented. <laughs> I'm not eating it. I, I'm out. But now, if you gave that to me and dude, you're screwed. Yeah. I might not eat it the first day. I might not eat it the second day, but I'll probably chug that shit down the third day. Yeah, but like yeah. If you, yeah, you know what I mean? Like that's, but like just to do it, I mean, I guess if you're there, that's another thing too. Go especially. ugly early. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. And, 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 and you know, we also have to, as special forces guys, we have to eat. We, you got to eat what, what, what's there really in a way because you're kind of going to insult people. So like, you, you know, when they, oh, yeah. when, they, right? when they put food out, you can't go, uh, I'm just, uh, I'm a vegan. Or like, you can't say like, I don't eat that because- that's kind of that's pretty insulting to them. So you just got to eat it. I'm so glad I never had to eat balut. Ugh. Ugh. The only time I I ever got they actually swear they actually sell that shit in restaurants here. Yeah. Oh god. Yeah, I'm telling you, go there. No, uh, I'm not gonna eat that. The only time I got really sick, I think eating the food was in Africa, and I think it's because the plate of food they gave us was old. Yeah. I think mm. it had been sitting out a couple of days, and they're like, oh, "This is yeah. what we have." And you got sick. Yeah, yeah. Me and another guy who ate it, we both got pretty sick for a couple of days. You're gonna get sick if you do what we do. We, for we a had the Hershey too. squirts going after. It's that. awful yeah. too. It's awful. So I guess that about wraps it up. Uh, we're off to celebrate the release of this book right here, Brandon Webb's The Killing School. For the people watching on Facebook Live, it's out now. Check it out. It's got stories from not just Brandon, but snipers like Jason Delgado, uh, Marine Scout sniper. And yeah, if you want to learn about snipers, this is it. This is the book. Check it out. Um, I guess before we get out of here, the last things that we could plug, of course, is Hollywood Weapons. Check it out Monday night at 9 p.m. East on the Outdoor Channel. Yep, yep. Uh, we're looking forward it's to it. It's a lot of that. fun, man. I promise you'll get to laugh at me. And you know, you'll go, oh, I remember that movie. If you did, yeah. I can't fun. wait to see it. It looks funny as it hell. Is, it's funny as hell. <laughs> it's yeah. funny as hell. So, for the people listening to this podcast, not viewing it, we thank you for becoming a member. Uh, we really appreciate it that we get to do these two shows a week now. And for those watching it on Facebook Live, we're not always going to do this. This is kind of a, a free preview for you guys. And you can join us, though, at SoftRepRadio.us. Uh, follow us on Twitter at SoftRepRadio. And I'm actually going to throw this out there. I was at the book release last night in Tribeca, and Drew was wearing some of his gear. And people were like, oh, you sell soft rep shirts, and I feel like we never mention it. To be honest, we always mention the Crate Club. We mention that's true. Uh, so yeah, there is a store tab you on softrep.com. You can have a soft rep hoodie, and they're all quality shirts. I honestly don't just say that. I wear them all the time. As yeah. do you. As does Drew Dwyer. I wore your soft you rep too. shirt on the Greg Gutfeld show, or like Red Eye one time, and a bunch of yep. people were like soft rep. Well, hopefully like, the future, they're not like, what's up? They're like, no, oh, no, I no, love no, them. No, but they're saying is, hey, man, I, I say, are those guys paying you? I'm like, no, they don't like army guys. I'm just kidding. They're SEALs. Oh, wait, Jack works for them. Hey, yeah, I'm, I'm it's, not, like, it's a cool shirt. It says soft rub. It says on time, on target. It's badass. Yeah. I, I gave out a lot of them in the Philippines. Yeah. I'm not going to lie, man. I know that the, the show is growing because of you've had this happen. I walked out of the studio the other day. I'm talking to my dad on the phone. Some guy was like, Ian Scotto? I listen to the show all the time. That's awesome. So yeah, it's it's cool. It's good to know that more people are listening. It, and it's a it's a great cross section of people like me who are civilians, guys like you who are former military, and a lot of the times younger kids who are like, I yeah. want to be a Green Beret, I want to be true. a Navy SEAL. What do I have to do it's, to get in there? And, yeah, and right. you've answered a lot of it's, these questions. It's weird because in my mind, I, I when I think about soft rep radio, I think 
Who knows about soft rep radio? Me, Ian, <laughs> Terry. <laughs> uh, like psychologically, it doesn't really sink in that there's like thousands of people that listen to this. That's cool. <laughs> and it is a good. Thousands, you're man. right. I never thought about it. It is, it is a good recruiting tool because you get to listen to dudes who have done it. You know, and 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 I think a lot of times I, I, I you know, there, you guys are realistic about what we do, and 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 it's not you know painting it with always a happy face it is what it is you know so that's yeah. kind of i think i think i think kids are you know young guys young studs out there looking for something to do like all right okay you know i i, I get it there's gonna be some bad shit coming but yeah yeah it's worth it well terry thanks for coming in making awesome. an appearance it's good to fun. see you again uh because it's been a little bit i'm happy to be home welcome gonna, back to america jack murphy <laughs> yeah i'm gonna be seeing a lot more of you now now that we're doing two shows a week um yeah anything else before we get out of here anything else you're plugging i know you have you know your deckard novels and uh i think we pretty much covered all of it for this week yeah oh i would say go to go to go to taskforcedagger.org it's a really good charity they're based they're socom works with them they do a lot of cool stuff and uh i was just with those cats uh, a week ago and mind-blowing so if you're also looking to help you know people say that we support the military uh supports a verb so that means that's a that implies no it actually demands action right a verb is an action thing so if you support the military that's cool give give something of your time donate to some charities go 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 kind of get yourself plugged into it because it's easy to say oh i support it but yeah just do something about it it doesn't it's not a lot it doesn't take a lot and it makes a big difference because a lot of guys hurt me well said well said You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. New episodes up every Wednesday and Friday. For all of the great content from our veteran journalists, join us and become a team room member today at softrep.com. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Soft Rep Radio. And be sure to also check out the Power of Thought podcast, hosted by Hurricane Group CEO and Navy SEAL sniper instructor, Brandon Webb.